We, we also want to turn to recognize that the real reason for this season is what Jesus has done for us. So this morning we're going to talk about hope. It is the fourth of Advent, and today is the idea and the message of hope. And so hope for us, the Bible talks a lot about hope. It says that we have this eternal hope, this reward, this salvation, this eternal life that we get to look forward to, that Jesus comes to bring us hope, to give hope. Uh, we have the hope of fellowship and communion with each other and with the Heavenly Father. But today I'm going to look, uh, take a different path in looking at hope. And we're going to start in the beginning of Jesus' life before Jesus became a human. We're going to look at his family. His dirty, rotten, no good family. So let's pray. Father, we just come to you this morning. God, thank you for this chance to be here, to hear from your word and to grow and to learn and just to become better followers of you. Jesus, help us to grab a hold of your truth this morning. We love you and we ask these things in your name. Amen. So if you have your Bible and you would like to turn to Matthew chapter 1, you can do that. If you have your digital Bible, you can open that up. Or if you just prefer to look up at the screen, uh, you can do that as well. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 says this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah, and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah, uh, Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. So note that. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salom. Uh, Salom, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Note that. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the mother of whose mother was Ruth. Again, note that. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. This is pretty exciting stuff, isn't it? Yes, genealogies. How many of you, when you get to start in the beginning of the Bible and you're reading through Exodus and all those genealogies, how many of you get excited and it's like you get pumped up and you're like, yeah, this is, this is my Bible workout. I'm getting through this. I love this. Uh, most of us just kind of skim through the stuff, and we, you know, we get to some of these names and just go, right, right. All right, let's just we'll continue on. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Interesting. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijab. See, even I can't get it all right. Uh, he was the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jeroam. Jeroam was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah. And his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Now, let me just be honest. Most of the time, I don't. I just go, oh, Hezekiah, Manasseh, Amon. I just kind of start skipping down because the father of the father of, you know, that's just me. But we're almost there, okay? I promise you. Verse twelve. After the exile to Babylon, uh, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Yes, he was the father of Zerubbabel. 
Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Elikim, Elikim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob. Ooh, this is easy. Jacob, the father of Joseph, and the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exiles to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So there's a lot of information if you were to actually go through and study some of this. Matthew was wanting to make some great connections here. His letter... Uh, this was written to the Jewish community. So he wanted to firmly and establish in the very beginning Jesus's connection to their father, Abraham, because the Jews always referred to Abraham as being their father. Because if we go back into Genesis, God gave Abraham the vision and the dream that he was going to be the father. His children, his descendants would multiply greater than the stars in the heavens. All right, so Matthew was trying to make that connection, that lineage back to their father, Abraham. Then he wanted to also bring that connection, that kingly connection to King David. Because that was also important for them, that the prophecies in Isaiah and the Old Testament and the prophets, major and minor prophets, all pointed that there was someone coming from the house of David. A descendant of David was going to be their rescuer, their Messiah, their Savior. So Matthew wanted to make those connections. But that's not what we're going to be talking about today. Today we're going to be talking about some of these individuals and how these individuals can give us hope. If Jesus' family, as messed up and as screwed up as they are, can produce a Savior then we as individuals that have our own fair share of brokenness and messed upness, we can also do something that advances the kingdom of God. So if we look here, let's just look at some of these gentlemen, so-called to begin with. So Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right, left arm, right. Anybody know that song? I saw a few of you nodding. All right, I grew up singing that in kids' church. Maybe I'll have to go teach uh, Pastor Christiana that song. Uh, so that way we can all, as adults, even know it on our way home on the tune about it. We're all like, because you're like, you put your right arm, you know, it's, it's that hokey pokey type. It's the, it's the Jesus version of hokey pokey, putting one arm in and you shake it all about kind of thing. But Abraham, so the father of the nation, right? A good man who loved God, served God. But guess what? He also had his fair share of screw-ups. Let's just call him that. He didn't really trust God at times. God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And he's like, dude, do you know how old I am? Have you checked my birth certificate lately? I'm like 80 plus. You really think I can have a kid in 80 years old? I mean, nowadays, we kind of freak out when we pass 40 and start thinking about having kids. Imagine doubling that and hitting 80. And he didn't trust God in that. So what did he do? He took matters into his own hands and took his wife's concubine and bore a son through that. Well, if you want to kind of read some of that history, that mistake there, you know, that choice 
Life is not a mistake. That choice that he made has now caused repercussions for generations and generations that still exist today. All because he didn't trust God. And yet, even before that, when Abraham had to go to Egypt because there was a famine in the land, and he walked into the area, and some folks noticed his wife, Sarah, and then eventually Pharaoh noticed his wife. He's like, oh, dude, Pharaoh, that's my sister. He lied to Pharaoh as well. And then when Pharaoh found out, he's like, dude, why'd you do that? You caused me disgrace. So even Abraham had his issues in trusting God. How many of us sometimes feel like, yeah, that's me. Sometimes I do have my own issues as well in trusting what God says. So now let's look at Jacob. Jacob was also one of his one of the great fathers of the children of Israel. Jacob deceived his father in the very beginning for the birthright of his oldest brother, because that was an important thing to have. And that led to a life of continuous deceit and betrayal with people. He also even played favorites among his children, which you could say led to his youngest son's supposed death, which also God had providence in, in leading him to Egypt, who became second in command only to below Pharaoh, helping Egypt secure food in the seven good years that then provided for the entire area for seven years of famine. So God, in, in his divine providence, does great and amazing things. Even in our mistakes and the mistakes of others, the things that choices people make that also affect us, God can still do his wonders. Judah, who's Jacob's son, sold his brother to the Egyptian traders. He also lied to his grieving father. And get this, he had sex with his son's wife. Kind of a little backwards. Yeah. David, King David, a great and mighty man of God. What does the Bible in Hebrews say about David? He was a man after God's own heart. He also screwed up a lot. Big time. When he was supposed to be off to war, so that's mistake number one as king. He should have been out there with his soldiers. He was surveying his vast, beautiful kingdom and saw a pretty little lady taking a bath on a roof and said, mm, I like that. I would like some of that. And brings her in, has relations with her, find out she's pregnant, and he tries to cover it up. He invites Uriah, it's the husband of Bathsheba, so the lady he had relations with, he invites Uriah back home, tries to encourage him to have relations with his wife, but Uriah's like, no, as soldiers, we don't do those things. I'm supposed to be on the battlefield. So the next night, he brings him back over, gets him drunk to try to get him to have relations with his wife, and he's like, still no. So he sends him back out to the battlefield with a letter, and the letter says, that he gives to the commander, says, Commander, put Uriah out on the front lines when he's out there fighting. Have all the ret- troops retreat except Uriah. So then Uriah gets killed. Premeditated murder is what we'd call in the 21st century, wouldn't it? So not only did David take someone's wife, he also tried to cover it up. And when he couldn't cover it up, sent the guy off to be killed. It's a man after God's own heart, though. Amon. Amon was a wicked king. He reigned only two years, but then was assassinated after that because he was such a bad guy. 
We also have seven, seven other of these men were also wicked kings whose heart and several more of those kings that weren't necessarily wicked, whose hearts were after God, they didn't really follow through. They loved Jesus, but they didn't bring the nation back to loving Jesus or loving their father, loving God. Josiah took over after his father Ammon was assassinated at age six, age eight, and he turned the nation back to God though. So there's a good bright, bright spot. Someone that loved God and didn't screw up as well. All right? Zerubbabel, he led the first wave of captives back after the exile to start rebuilding Jerusalem. It's pretty interesting. So these are just a few of these gentlemen from Jesus' line, from Abraham all the way to Jesus. We have 14 times 3, so that's 28, that's 42, if I didn't do my math right in my head. I should have wrote that down. 42 individuals. There's a lot of screw-ups, but there's some positiveness in there as well. Yet we kind of look and go, okay, a lot of these kings were really messed up people. Why didn't God just find a good branch? Why didn't God just pick a, a good family tree, one that sprouted up correctly and whose branches went out nice and neat? You know, like how many of you, us are out there trying to find the, per, or have found the perfect Christmas tree? That's what we do, right? We go, we try to find the good Christmas tree, the one that looks nice and straight. I'll be honest, last night we got the free tree from uh, Vellimbi Centrum, because if you spend 500 crowns there, you get a free tree. We'll see how it turns out today. If we have to go, if we go choose to buy another one, it was like flat and smash. And I'm like, mm, we'll see. But we kind of like go, God, you know, okay, you brought Jesus. You sent Jesus to the world. Why didn't you pick the right family? A family of nobility, maybe, or a military might family, or just a family that had some good apples, all good apples, not some bad apples as well. But that's not who God is. God doesn't look at the past and make the decision on the future. He says, in my divine providence, in who I am, there is still hope. Yes, you can make mistakes. And you hurt the heart of God. But God says, there is still hope for you. I still want to use you. Do you want to be used? Do you want to be a part of my family? Just because you've done these things doesn't exclude you from the kingdom of God. Because if we really want to look at Jesus' family, we got people that committed sexual sins. We have murder and lying and deceit, all kinds of awfulness. Yet God still chose to use that family to bring about the Messiah, the hope, the salvation of the world. In 2 Chronicles uh, 21.7, it says this, Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David. And since he had promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. God chose and said, David, from you I will bring someone that will rescue my people, a Messiah. God stayed faithful to his promise. Even when men turn their backs on him, he is faithful. 
You may feel like you've screwed up beyond what you ever thought you could do. You may think that you've done too many bad things or you're just not good enough or right enough or thinking the right ways. God says, no, my hope is for you. I believe in you and I have faith that if you come to me, we can turn this around and you can make a difference. So we have those men. And I ask you to make note of four women in this story as well. Four women that did not always have the most upstanding relationships with their husbands. First woman that was mentioned in the lineage of Jesus or genealogy is named Tamar. Tamar uh, was married uh, to, let me go back, it was Judah's, Judah's son. There we go. Judah's son, Ur, was a bad man, didn't, was, was an evil man. The Bible says he was evil, so God took him out. So then in that custom, if you lose, if your brother loses their wife and there's an, a son below, then that wife then, without any kids, if they did not have kids, that wife would then go to the next brother so they could uh, uh, produce children from that lineage. Because that, that uh, Tamar should have been able to have had relations with the next brother down, and her son would have then been heir to that family. They would be the successor. Well, that brother, the second brother, realized that process. And so when he had relations with Tamar, he would um, not fully go all the way. So that way, she would not produce a son that would then be heir, but only his kids through his wife would be the heir to the family. So God didn't like that. And what did God do? Took care of him. Took him out as well. So Tamar was left in Judah had one more son left, and he was still a young man, so he wasn't of marrying age. So Judah said, Tamar, go back to your dad, and when this third son is of marrying age, I will send for you, and uh, things can happen the way. Well, Judah, Judah was all, he wasn't going to do that. He was sending her away to, to, to be done with her. So when Tamar found out Judah's wife had passed away, and Judah was going to go mourn for her, um, he was, no, sorry, Judah had mourned and was going to now go tend to his flocks. She dressed herself up as, let's just call it as it was, a prostitute, waited at the side of the road, and when he came by, she knew he had a wandering eye, per se. So when he came upon this prostitute and her face was covered, they had relations. Well, she made sure she got a few of his personal items from him. They had relations, he went on his way, she went back to her home. When they found out she was pregnant, he sent word for her to be killed because you don't do that in the family. You keep it in the family. So she sent word back, well, the man that impregnated me, these are his items. So then Judah realized it was him. He, he, was, he was in the wrong here. So then she bore a son that then carried on the family line. So deceiving or not, she... You know, she's a part of Jesus' lineage. And she was also a foreigner, an immigrant in the land. Rahab. Rahab was a part of the story of Jericho, how the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. But before they came tumbling down, some spies had gone into the land to understand what was going on. Rahab was the one that kept those spies safe. She was a prostitute. And so she, all she asked was, when you guys invade the country, 
the city, please don't kill me. I would like to be a part of your, your community. And so the spy said, yes, put this on your door and we will not harm you or your family that is inside. So they honored that word. And Rahab changed her ways and became a part of the family of Israel. She married a great godly man, I imagine, and became a, a children of an Israelite. But yet she was also a foreigner who had previously been a prostitute. She's a part of the lineage of Jesus. Ruth. We hear about Ruth quite often. Ruth was also a foreigner whose husband died and she was with her mother-in-law and the father-in-law passed away and the sister-in-law, her husband died. So it was just the mother-in-law and two daughter-in-laws left. And the mother is like, I'm going back to my family. And she released the two young ladies and said, go back to your families, find a new husband. And Ruth said, no, I'm going to go with you. Where you go, I shall go. Your people shall be my people. She made a commitment, and through that process, she met Boaz. And Boaz said, she is an honorable woman. Yes, she may be a foreigner. She may be an immigrant, a refugee in our country, but she, I see greatness in her and great qualities and characteristics that I want in my family. And he married her, and he's called the Kingsman Redeemer. It's a fantastic story. So she was an honorable woman that did right in the eyes of the Lord. And she's also included in Jesus' lineage. And then now we have Bathsheba. She is not specifically named, but she is named as the wife of Uriah. She was seduced by the king. Who then, as we talked about, David had her husband killed. But she was also a foreigner. But get this. In all the messed upness of David and Bathsheba, so David was completely and utterly in the wrong, using his power in ways he should not have to take advantage of someone, completely in the wrong. Yet in God's divine providence, he repent, David repented of the situation, made it right to the best that he could. There's a psalm of his lament for his wrongdoing that he did. Yet God in that divine province used that relationship with David and Bathsheba to have Solomon, the, one, the wisest king that probably has ever lived, that we get the book of Psalms, songs, Song of Solomon from, book of songs. How crazy is that to think David in his grossness and what he's done, yet God still chose to allow him to be a part of the lineage of Jesus, that something great would still come from him, even in all that brokenness and messed upness. And these four women, also their stories shed a light on Mary, who may have had a, somewhat of a similar experience, becoming impregnated by the Holy Spirit while she was engaged to Joseph, who thought, I shall divorce her. But yet God spoke to him and said, no, marry her because this son that she is pregnant with is the Messiah. She was not unfaithful to you. And so he honored that, Joseph did, and followed through and married Mary and brought her in and loved her and loved on Jesus. We don't hear much about Joseph, but I think that one thing says a lot about the character of Joseph. That he was able to accept the word of the Lord 
and follow through and embrace his son Jesus. Because Joseph was a carpenter, so Joseph still taught Jesus his livelihood. He passed on that tradition, because that's what they did back in those days. The father passed on the job to the son. And Joseph followed through on that. But yet, we can only imagine maybe some of the ridicule, ridicule or shame that Mary would have felt. Yet there was hope in that. Jesus came from a line, a long line of outsiders, outlaws, scoundrels, sinners, and also godly men and women. He entered the mess of humanity to rescue us from our shame and to give hope. It seems like Matthew here, he wanted to make clear that being part of the people of God, the family of God, was never about blood, but it is always about belief. It's not about blood, but it's about belief in the Savior. It's about taking hold of the promises God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is exactly what Tamar and Rahab and Ruth did. If the story and secrets of your life were recorded for all of us to read, some of us would just kind of quietly dismiss ourselves from the room. As we read the stories of Abraham and Sarah, of Judah and Tamar, of Rahab, Ruth or David and Bathsheba. The mistakes and wrong choices or undeserved treatment. If we feel the same way, guess what? You're going to fit right into this family. You do fit into the family of God. If you've been deceitful or hateful, if you used your or destroyed other people to get what you wanted, if you've been if you've touted your religious credentials to impress other people when in reality you have and desire nothing to do with God, welcome to the family. If you've taken God's generous provision for you for granted, if you've doubted God's promises, if you've presumed upon God's protection while also ignoring him, I can see the family resemblance. If you have no hope to be accepted into God's family other than what Jesus did for you, then you can be sure you found your forever family. No one gets into God's family by being born into it. You get into his family by accepting your place in it. We don't get into it, his family, through our good behavior. The only way any one of us can be part of his family is through the grace and faith. 1 Timothy 1.15 says this, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So let's just realize we are all sinners. Whether we are like David and have royally screwed up, or we're just, we're just like Josiah. We loved God, but, you know, we made the small mistakes that didn't really get recorded. We all fall short of the standard that God has. Yet this season reminds us of the hope of Jesus Christ. That he came into the mess of humanity to break our shame and to give us hope, to give us life, to give us purpose 
and dreams. Matthew wanted us to see that the family of Jesus was made up of people who had less than perfect records. This means that there is hope, there is a home, there is a future in this family for you. No matter what we've done or failed to do, or who we've been or failed to be, we have a family to belong to. It's kind of crazy to think, reading through this lineage of this person was the father of this person, that person was the father of that person, could inspire hope inside of us. That's exactly what this lineage does. So maybe when you're reading through Exodus, you might just kind of go, da 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 When you read through Matthew, and when you read through Luke, the genealogies of Jesus, hopefully next time you pause and go, oh, yeah, thank you, God, for Ruth. Thank you, God, for David. Thank you, God, for Amos. Thank you, God, that you, even in brokenness, use those people to bring about your son. Now your son comes and says to me, you may be broken. You may be messed up. You're not perfect. I love you. And I have a hope for you. And I want you to experience that hope. So this morning as we turn our eyes to Jesus, I just want to take a moment. We're going to put some music on in the background. We're just going to go to Jesus together, okay? So if you could all close your eyes for just a moment. I'm going to close my eyes as well. Because this is a moment that God just wants to speak to you. Say, my son, my daughter, that is what I long to call you today. But you need to choose to be a part of my family. I am here. I have gone as far as I can go. I need you to take the next step. All you got to do is one step. So this morning, if you are here and say, you know what, Pastor Brandon, I have some of the brokenness that you talked about, or I have other kinds of brokenness that wasn't exactly talked about today, but I feel like I don't belong, but today I want to feel that sense of belonging in God's family. And I want to acknowledge and say, yes, that is me. Today I want to be a part of God's family. If that's you, I just want you to sincerely pray this prayer that we will all pray in just a moment. And then let one of us in leadership know, myself or Angela or Christina, that you made that choice today. So church, if we could all together pray this prayer. Dear Father, come on church, dear Father, I come to you today. I acknowledge my brokenness. I acknowledge that I have not made it. I have fallen short. But I also recognize your outreached hand. Father, I accept your hand today. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Forgive me for my mistakes. Help me to go right from today forward. I want to learn to love you, Jesus. 
So be my father today. And I will be your son or daughter. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And also for the rest of you, you're like, you know, I already know Jesus. I'm like some of those kings that I did right, most likely in the, the ways of the Lord, but there's some things that I need to fix and correct. This morning, God also wants to speak to you and say, it is time to let your shame go. It is time to let your disgrace go. It is time to let go of your brokenness. Let go of the burden that you are carrying and accept what I have for you this morning. So if that is you this morning, you need to let go and embrace his hope this morning. Just ask that you raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning as well. Thank you. Anyone else in here that says, I need to embrace the hope of God today? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, God, thank you for using us. Thank you for using broken, messed up, imperfect people. That is who brought, that is the family that brought Jesus into the world. It's a broke down, messed up family, but yet God still shined through in that family. And Lord, you will do the same thing in us. You will shine through despite the brokenness that we have. You don't want us to stay broken. You want us to come to you and to be made whole and right. And to acknowledge when we make those mistakes or when our imperfections are there or our attitudes or our ways of thinking are there. So you can help us to grow and become better children of God to understand the way that you think about us and about other people, we can have your mind set for ourselves. So thank you, Lord, that you are instilling hope today, that you are breathing life, that you are bringing sunshine where it feels like there is darkness, that you are bringing warmth where it feels like it is cold and broken and lonely. You are there in the midst right now. Father, I just see, uh, feel this picture of someone trying to warm themselves up in a dark room, broke down room, but there's a stove. And Lord, you long, your word, the word of God, as we apply it to our life and get into it, it is like adding logs to that furnace to that fireplace, that as we put more wood in, as we read your word and get into your word more, we will understand what you are saying about us and those words that you proclaim over who we are, sons and daughters, more than conquerors, that we have a refuge and a safe place in you, that we are warriors in the army of God, that we are not passive, but we can be aggressive and forward thinking and pushing. Those are like logs in the fire, creating warmth and bringing warmness and also light to the dark room. 
So Lord, may you help us all get into your word. So as as Paul said in Philippians, that we start thinking on whatever is true and lovely and honorable and praiseworthy instead of recycling the lies of the enemy about how we're just not good enough. How about how if somebody really understood who we were, they wouldn't love us. About how we're just broken and we can't be fixed. About how my anxiety is just always going to be there and I can't get rid of it. About how I'm just always going to be alone because no one's going to truly love who I am. That is not what your word says. So Lord, help us to add fuel to the fire, to feel the warmth of your love, and to the see the light of your salvation. God, we love you. God, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you again that you use broken, messed up people to change the world, just like you did with Jesus so you will do with us. So thank you, Father God. We love you, Jesus. God, be with us in this week. Help us to remember the hope that you've given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And find some, that we would find someone this week to share that hope with as well. We love you, Jesus. Yes, these things in your name. Amen. Amen.